Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I am your host, Doug Hatton, and this is episode 14 of the podcast entitled, Jesus said, ask them who I am. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who people were saying that he was. After giving him various answers, Jesus then said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? This is an important question, one that each of us must answer. Peter answered Jesus saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus then replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Now it should be pointed out that the disciples had already believed that he was the Christ. Christ is simply the Greek word for Messiah, and they already believed him to be the Messiah, most of them from the very beginning was the very reason they began to follow him in the first place. So when Peter said that Jesus was a Christ, this is not exactly a major revelation for the disciples at this point. Of course, there is a difference between head knowledge and getting something deep down in your heart. So the revelation of Jesus as Messiah may have become all the more real for Peter in that moment. However, I believe the real revelation here that had to be revealed to Peter by the Father, was that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Just a little background here. In the prophecies of the Bible, the Jews saw two different messiahs being spoken of by the prophets. One they called Messiah ben Joseph, or in other words, Messiah, son of Joseph, who is referred to as the suffering servant. These are the prophecies that we are most familiar with, like in Isaiah 53, for example, where it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Suffice it to say that the Jews really didn't understand this Messiah. The other Messiah the one people were looking for when Jesus showed up was known as Messiah ben David, or in other words, Messiah, son of David, who would be the conquering king, who would vanquish the enemies of God's people. This is what they were expecting when Jesus arrived on the scene, not the suffering servant. Now there is a mystery here regarding the idea behind these two messiahs, why one is the son of Joseph and one is the son of David, but that will have to wait for some future episode of the podcast. What is important for our purposes here, and what the Jews did not understand, is that Jesus is both of these prophesied messiahs, but coming at different times. He would first be born in the kingdom of Judea as the suffering servant, so that he could show us the way, be crucified, and then rise from the dead. When he comes again at his return, 
he will appear to us as the conquering king. Neither of these two messiahs were expected to be anything other than a man who is called and set aside by God as a prophet or a king to deliver and lead the people of Israel much the same way as Moses or David did. That Jesus was more than just a man with a prophesied destiny, and that he had a divine nature, had never entered the minds of his disciples. What had been revealed to Peter that day was just a first step in beginning to recognize the true nature of Jesus, that he was far more than a Messiah, more than a man. Peter's understanding, not yet complete, was able, with the help of the Spirit of God, to latch on to Jesus' role as the Son of God. That idea alone was blasphemy, according to the priests, scribes, and religious leaders among the Jews. But that offense would just be the beginning. As time went on, an even greater revelation of who Jesus was would be teased to the apostles, but it would be done in such a way so as not to make the mystery plain for those who were not ready to hear it. To this day, there are many who do not fully comprehend who he is. In 2020, we had a pair of Mormon missionaries, young men who were visiting on a regular basis. The night before their next scheduled visit, I was awakened in the middle of the night by the Holy Spirit, and I heard the word of the Lord asking me to ask the Mormon missionaries who Christ is. As those words were spoken into my mind, the Holy Spirit filled my understanding in regards to the understanding of these young men and what his desire was for them. It isn't my intention to offend anyone, but what was impressed upon me in that moment was that these wonderful young men didn't truly know who Christ was. They knew of him, and they trusted by faith that he had sacrificed his life so that they could have forgiveness of sin, but they did not actually know who he was. I felt the impression upon my heart that at that moment, it was the Lord's desire to have a more personal, dynamic relationship with them. I understood that these men were taught according to the precepts of men, that Jesus was a created being, an elder brother or older sibling, as it were, really no different from ourselves on the day of his creation, except that when his older brother Satan volunteered to save humanity by enslaving us and taking God's glory, Jesus volunteered to do the will of God and allowing himself to be sacrificed for the rest of us. And for that, they are very grateful. What the Holy Spirit wanted to reveal to them, though, is that Christ was never a created being, but the one who created all things both in heaven and on earth, even as explicitly stated and being listed as one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon to testify that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Eternal means he exists outside of time and has no beginning or end. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the Word was God, and that all things 
were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Emphasis then on the words all and nothing here. All things were made by Christ, and nothing was made without him. That's pretty clear, pretty concise. Just hold that thought for a moment, because when we get into the Book of Mormon, the nature of Christ is going to become very plain. Remember, that's one of its purposes and its gifts to us. God gave us this record to make extremely plain those things which may be either missing or less than plain in the Bible. The Book of Mormon is supposed to clarify anything that men would end up contending over in the scriptures, if we would, but heed the words contained therein. But before we go to the Book of Mormon, let's look at a few more things in the Bible itself. When Moses asked God what he should tell the Israelites if they asked who had sent him, God told Moses to tell them, I am who I am. In the Greek, it is ego I may, which means I exist, or I be, or simply I am. The title I am was used by God multiple times throughout the Old Testament. And when Jesus walked among the Jews, speaking of himself, he told them, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. When the soldiers came to take Jesus away, they asked if he was Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus answered, I am he. And the power behind those words was such that it says the soldiers went backwards and fell to the ground. When the high priest asked Jesus if he was the Christ, Jesus answered, I am. And at that, the high priest tore his clothes. Why such a violent reaction to simply acknowledging that he was the Messiah? Could it be the words that Jesus chose to answer with? Or possibly the way he spoke them? In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus tells the people, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And in John chapter 20, Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection and tells Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. In looking at Jesus in the New Testament, at first, he is acknowledged simply as a teacher, a rabbi, and then he is spoken of as a prophet. And at some point, people began to proclaim him as the Messiah. And later, Peter, by revelation, said he was the Son of God. And then one day, 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the Father in John chapter 14. And he says to them, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Let's hang on that statement for a moment. It would appear that Jesus brings into question whether the disciples have even really known him by saying, If you had known me, then you would have known my Father. And after that, he tells them, From now on you know him and have seen him. Something about this revealment was to evidently change how things were so that they would now truly know Jesus and also know the Father. So let's read that again. If you had known me, then you would have known my Father. From now on you know him and have seen him. This obviously confused his disciples, just saying from this point forward you know the Father and have seen him. How had they seen the Father? So Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus answered him, saying, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? Again, let's just hang here at this statement for a moment. Philip is telling Jesus that he doesn't understand. He's basically saying, Look, Jesus, if you want us to see the Father, just show him to us. And Jesus tells him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Here, we are beginning to step into the troubled waters of past and present contention over what has been referred to as the Godhead. But contention is of the devil, according to Christ himself. And I have seen so many dispute these things over the years that I went to God in earnest prayer for the sake of keeping peace in the church. And I asked him to reveal this thing to me. And his answer was that the mind of fallen man cannot comprehend it. This caused me to keep my distance from such disputes, knowing that it was essentially folly if we could not comprehend it. But his contentions persisted. I came again to the Lord on the topic one day. I could see the point on both sides of the argument. However, I did not desire to win an argument, but to simply understand. The Spirit again spoke to me and let me know that he is able not only to redeem us, but that he can expand the knowledge of those who humble themselves and desire to know these things in order to know him, to draw closer to him and not in order to prove one side or the other correct in these petty contentions. So right there, I disavowed every side, and I sought only to better understand who God was. He then began to enlighten my mind. The Book of Mormon says, We can know the truth of all things by the Spirit of Revelation, which is the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. But it must be for God's glory, and not to consume it upon our lusts. God's servants are not sent to beat people over the head and win arguments, but they are sent to plant seeds and also to harvest souls. They are supposed to invite people to higher ground, even as Jesus did. 
I share this experience I had with the Lord, not to say that I have all understanding in this matter. I do not. And I also do not share this in order to convince you to believe as I do. It is the scriptures that are our guide. And when we go into the Book of Mormon, we will simply read from that plain and precious record, the Word of God. And if we are willing, then we can allow the Holy Spirit to convict us as to their meaning. We have this extraordinary record from God, whose purpose is to clarify and make plain those truths that have been removed, hidden, or otherwise left less than clear. It is designed to confound our doctrinal errors. So, in my mind, any time we have a question regarding any aspect of scriptural knowledge, the Book of Mormon, along with the Holy Spirit as our guide, should really be our go-to in seeking clarity. Getting back to the visit with the two Mormon missionaries, when I arose early in the morning, the Spirit of God was upon me. I looked forward to the meeting with these two young men. I always find talking with LDS missionaries a delight. Over the years, the Lord has put such a love in my heart for them. I have spent time trying to do the very thing that they're trying to do, and I know it isn't easy. When they arrived, they had several questions for my wife and I that were leftovers from our previous meeting, and this is fairly typical. And when I share with missionaries that although I am not a member of their church, I believe in the Book of Mormon. And also, when I begin to share the doings of the Lord in my own life and in the lives of our friends and colleagues, they are often very curious. But I wanted to first invite them to share something with us, if they desire to do so. One of the missionaries pulled out his phone and said he would like to play a video for us. It was a message from the prophet of the LDS Church. He stated that one of the things he was very grateful for was that they had at the head of their church the prophet that God had appointed for his people in this time. And we agreed to watch the video. It was a pleasant message, a message about being thankful, thankful for your family and all the wonderful blessings of God. One of the missionaries asked me what I thought. I told them it was a very nice message that I certainly agreed with what he had to say, but also that it was not very prophetic. Both of the missionaries nodded and seemed to concede that statement. I then asked them if they would mind if I asked a very direct question about their prophet. They were agreeable to this, and I then prefaced my question telling them that my question was a sincere one and not meant to offend my question was, had Russell M. Nelson predicted the pandemic? Had he prophesied in order to warn the saints that it was coming and how to prepare for it? They briefly looked at each other, but did not long delay in acknowledging that he hadn't. I then told them how one particular woman in a small group of people we worshipped with had received a revelation of it back in early October of 2019 that I was there when it was received, and I shared with them the words that she was given by the Spirit. They seemed to find this of interest. I felt the Spirit of God rest upon me as I spoke, and I assure you, none of this conversation came off as an attack. There seemed to be no tension in the air, although it could easily have gone that way. The Spirit seemed to be at work, 
and every word I shared was spoken with love and humility. I then asked them if they believed that there was a pattern in all things. They did. Including the church? They agreed. There was a pattern in the scriptures for the church. I told them I agreed as well. There are certainly patterns established in the scriptures. I then asked them, in the New Testament, when Jesus set up his church, who did he set up as the prophet, a single prophet, who was to be the head of his church? And again, in the Book of Mormon, our purest scripture, which contains the fullness of the gospel, when Jesus established his church here on this continent among the Nephites, who did Jesus set up as the prophet over the whole church? Astonishingly, almost immediately, the missionary sitting on my left answered, Christ? I smiled. The young man then reasserted, perhaps Christ was that prophet. I agreed with him, delighted that the Holy Spirit was working with him. And then I asked, so if that is the pattern, then how did we come to believe as we do now? When did this change? Why are we not following the pattern established under the New Covenant? A quiet settled over the room. In a soft voice I told them, I believe in what the scriptures say, that Jesus set in his church apostles, teachers, evangelists, pastors, and prophets, plural. Otherwise, how else do we receive the word of the Lord in the mouth of multiple witnesses? They nodded their heads and smiled, seeming unsure on how to answer. I then told them that the Lord had awakened me in the night and had asked me to ask them a question. One of the missionaries then verbally indicated he would be interested in hearing the question. I told them that God wanted me to ask them who Christ is. The missionaries looked at each other and then began to answer by saying, We know that he is the Savior, that he died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. These were the answers the Spirit had shown me they would give. I let them know that God was asking, though, that we explore the question of who he is a little more deeply, that while those things they had shared were true, who is he, really, on the deepest level? Where did he come from? What is his origin, his very nature? One of the men very honestly answered, I'm not really sure. I asked if I could read to them what the Book of Mormon says. They nodded, and one of them got out their Book of Mormon. I asked them to turn to the title page. We then read where it states that one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is, quote, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. We then turn to 1 Nephi, where it declares, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Eternal Father. I continued, flipping pages and reading, quote, And I looked and I beheld the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people. Yea, the everlasting God was judged of the world. End quote. Further on in First Nephi, it talks about when these ancient records come forth in the last days, and it states that they would, quote, make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people 
that the Lamb of God is the eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him, or they cannot be saved. End quote. Further on, it states, And the God of our fathers, which were led out of Egypt, out of bondage, and also were preserved in the wilderness by him, yea, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, yieldeth himself according to the words of the angel, as a man, into the hands of wicked men, to be lifted up, and to be crucified. Then, going along with what John chapter 1 says, that everything that was created was created by Jesus Christ, and that there is nothing that was created without him, Nephi, in the Book of Mormon, goes on to state, For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both in heaven and the earth, and all things in them. And then flipped about ten pages over, where it goes on to say that the angel had shown Nephi that, quote, The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And after he manifests himself, they should scourge and crucify him. A few more pages over. For it behooveth the great Creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all men. Here it states that it is the Creator who would be put to death. And when we look in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A little further on in 1 Nephi, he states, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. For should the mighty miracles be wrought among other nations, they would repent and know that he be their God. In Mosiah, it states, quote, Have they not said, speaking of the prophecies of Christ, that God himself should come down among the children of men and take upon him the form of man? Flip the page over, and it continued, And because he dwelleth in flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being both the Father and the Son, the Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and the Son, and they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and earth. And now, flipping over to the book of Ether, in the record of the Jaredites, where there is an account of the brother of Jared who sees the very finger of God, and upon seeing the finger, he falls to the ground in fear. When the Lord asks him why, the brother of Jared exclaims, I saw the finger of the Lord, and I feared lest he should smite me, for I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. And the Lord said unto him, Because of thy faith thou hast seen that I shall take upon me flesh and blood. Behold, I am he which was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. Going back to the Gospel of John, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus answered, Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me? 
Jesus Christ is far more than an elder brother, as many Mormons imagine. As we just read, nothing was created either in heaven or earth that was not created by him. Therefore, Christ was not created, though he did come down and dwell in flesh, being born as a baby. Satan was not his equal, nor was he his brother. Jesus did not become Christ after he volunteered to go on this mission. He is eternal. He was and is and shall be forever the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. He is, as we read, God in the flesh. He has no beginning or end. He made the earth, and he made every single one of us. And he made all of the angels in heaven. Nothing was made that was not made by him. The Book of Mormon says he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It also calls him the God of Israel, the very eternal Father. When Jesus visits the Nephites after his resurrection, he tells them that he was the one who gave Moses the law. In other words, in all of those Old Testament stories of the Bible where men were interacting with God, it was Christ they were speaking with, even if they did not understand it, even as the brother of Jared in the book of Ether discovered. The God of heaven and earth took upon himself flesh and blood, and he paid the price himself. And as the prophet Abinadi said, because he took upon himself flesh, he would be called the Son of God. There is no argument that I need to make here. We have the scriptures before us, and the nature of who Christ is. It is made all the more plain and precious by that record which God brought forth and commanded Joseph Smith to translate. And it is designed to clarify and correct our understanding. As the Spirit has told me, these things cannot be understood by the mind of fallen man. Only by the spirit of revelation can we hope to catch a glimpse of the tremendous truth of who he is. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered the scribes, saying, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let me make a proposal. If you're willing, hear me out and then do with it what you will. You do not have to believe as I do. It is not essential to your salvation. We must only repent, believe in Christ, and make a covenant with him in the waters of baptism, and then serve him for the remainder of our lives. But if you have a desire as I do, a desire in your heart to better understand who our Lord and Savior is, then consider the following. Jesus told the scribes that the first great commandment begins by stating that the Lord is God. Do we not call Jesus Lord? Then how many lords are there? Jesus also stated that the Lord is one, so there are not multiple gods, nor are there three gods who make up a Godhead. He says there is but one Lord and God. That's a singular being. These aren't my words. This is out of the New Testament. I'm just asking you to consider these questions. Jesus said there is but one Lord, 
and God, whom Jesus says we are to love with all, not part, but all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let me ask you this question. How can we divide that love between Christ and the Father? Or can we divide that love three ways? Leave a little for the Holy Spirit as well? How can we fully devote ourselves to Christ and worship Christ unless he is God? Otherwise, which Lord is Jesus referring to here that we are to devote all of our love and affection to? Unless he and the Father are indeed one God, even as it says, and one God who manifests himself to us in three ways. Is it possible that the Father represents the totality of God, that part of God that cannot be contained, which fills the expanse of the universe, which is the summation of everything God is and represents, even the fullness, if you will, while Christ is that part of himself that God poured into a human body to come and represent himself to humanity? to show us the way, to pay the penalty for sin on our behalf, and take back the keys of hell and death, and bring about the resurrection. And then there is the part of God we can feel and sense, and even have within us, which is called the Holy Spirit, which in the absence of Jesus, or in other words, in the absence of God in bodily form, can be with us always, to comfort, teach, and direct us. What if, rather than three separate beings, he is simply one God who reveals himself in three ways, each manifestation playing a different role in our lives? Think about your own earthly father. To you, he was a father. To your mom, he was a husband. To your workplace, he was an employee. Or to the church, he was a minister. This did not make three or four people out of him, but the same man playing different roles in life. If we read in Genesis that God made man in his own image, are we three separate beings working together? No, we are not. However, we are composed of three parts. A body of flesh, a spirit that God breathed into us, and those two together making a living soul, which then is the very essence of who we are and who we choose to become as we experience life on this planet and exercise free will in order to make choices for good or evil. So if we are made in his image, the image of God, what if we use reverse engineering to better understand the nature of God? What if Christ is akin to our body of flesh. And the Holy Spirit is akin to our spirit. Then the Father, then, is akin to our soul. It is the combined essence of everything that he is. I'm not trying to force this view on you. If you want to know, study it out and go to God. I have heard all of the questions people struggle with when pondering this subject. Things like, was Jesus praying to himself then? I'm aware of all those questions. Not only have I heard them, but I've had them myself. It is my testimony 
that they were all answered to my satisfaction when I went to the Lord with those questions and I laid down my own arguments and expectations. You are free to do the same. But regardless of how we view God, if you believe the Book of Mormon, we will eventually have to come to terms with what it says about who Christ is. Because who he is, is important. In conclusion, I have to sadly report that after the Book of Mormon was brought forth, and almost immediately after the church was organized, Satan came along, even as in the parable of the enemy who came under the cover of darkness and planted tares in the field where God had planted wheat. There was a deliberate attempt over the years to pervert the truth, confuse our understanding, add to the doctrine of Christ, and even change the very nature of God. Joseph Smith gave three handwritten accounts of his experience in the grove over his lifetime. All three of those accounts agree, and they agree with what the earliest witnesses recall of his experience, which is that Joseph first heard the voice of God the Father, and then he saw Jesus Christ appear to him. There were never two entities that appeared to him. He never saw the Father and Son side by side. It was not until the account that was published in Nauvoo, which was not in Joseph's own handwriting, that suddenly there are two personages in the telling. Disturbingly, there were even some changes made to the Book of Mormon, where in multiple places the phrase, Son of, was inserted before the word, God, possibly in an attempt to differentiate between the idea of God and Christ, as if they are different. As to who authorized or made these changes, we cannot know for sure. However, the restored covenant edition of the Book of Mormon, which is printed by the Zarahemla Research Foundation, was done with the intention to restore the purity of the Book of Mormon by restoring words from the original manuscripts that were either left out or changed. This is not an advertisement to sell books. I have no relationship with them and have not talked to them about this, but I simply want to share that this beautiful edition of the Book of Mormon, printed in the Hebrew Chiastic poetry form, can be obtained through them. It is the version that I have used for almost 20 years now. You can also read that edition online and perform searches in it by going to restoredgospel.com and selecting RCE Book of Mormon Search on the left side menu. According to a revelation given by Joseph in 1832, just two years after the church was organized, the whole church came under condemnation for treating the things written in the Book of Mormon lightly. As far as anyone can tell, the church never did come out from that condemnation, but instead continued to stray ever further from the simple, plain, and precious truths of that record. The evidence for this condemnation and the lack of repentance is manifest in how the saints were no longer under the protection of God, but were run off from one place to another. What is under attack by the time the saints get to Nauvoo is the very nature of God. In that city, the seeds were planted for the idea of multiple gods, and of God having once been a man himself. And so, where does that leave the nature and the identity of Christ? These new doctrines that entered into the church are not supported by the Book of Mormon, 
which is the record that God brought forth to confound false doctrine. God told us that he has no beginning or end. Now the LDS Church teaches that he was once a man like us. God tells us that there are no other gods besides him, and furthermore, that he knows of no other gods. But now the teachings of the LDS Church reveal the opposite to be truth. Does this not make God a liar? The Bible and the Book of Mormon reveal that Jesus is God, the very eternal Father, and the creator of all things, both in heaven and on earth. But now we are supposed to believe that he was created and just one of us. Out of the vast sea of humanity, he was simply a fellow brother who is only different from us now and that he volunteered and was chosen for a special mission. Listen, brothers and sisters, the Book of Mormon is so very plain and simple when it comes to telling us who Christ is. And the church came under condemnation for treating its words lightly. So I will leave you with this verse taken from the Book of Jacob in the Book of Mormon. But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. Consider this. Is there a parallel between what happened to the Jews and what has now happened to the saints? Or in other words, the people of the Restoration? Has history repeated itself here? You decide. And if I haven't totally offended you yet, I hope you will join us for the next episode of the podcast. I welcome your questions and your comments. Feel free to email me at teacher in Zion at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion. Or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher space, and in Zion, spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.